0: As Milan players mention the S-word already, and United fans wake up realising maybe they haven't won the league just yet. We're taking nothing for granted and aren't preparing for the podcast awards just yet. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory and I am joined by...
1: Tommy, and you can find us on Instagram at ItalianAngloPod and on... No, sorry, on Twitter at Italian AngloPod and on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. Rory, so it's happy! It's been a year. It's been a year, and we still can't get it right. Neither <laughs> I, of us. I of finally <laughs> fucked it up as well. <laughs> but the most important thing, I'm going to say this one right is that, ladies and gentlemen, we are sponsored by at Sports Club Maps, both on Twitter and on Instagram, and you can check out their website SportsClubMaps.co.uk. We've already done our first giveaway. And our friend Carl from Minneapolis was our first winner this very Monday, this past Monday. He, What did he select? Uh, an NBA map, I think. I yeah.
0: was honestly, Carl, nothing against you. I was very disappointed you opted for a basketball prize on a football podcast. But you know what? We will let you off. You are the first prize winner. Congratulations. Next time, just pick a
1: soccer one, right? yep indeed and since we're talking so what is sports club maps they basically do very cool maps on agendas notebooks mugs mousepads and it's uh, basically maps of sports clubs all over the world and since we're talking about the entire world of sports we're going to fly very quickly to suriname rory are you ready for this trip <laughs> i've never been before let's go so this, this news really made me giggle, and Rory also loved it. So Suriname Vice President Ron Brunswick, 60 years old, played for 54 minutes in an official Konakaf League Round of 16 game alongside Mongotapo, a club he's both the owner and the president of. But wait a second. He's not only the oldest footballer to ever play a professional game, but he might as well be the only footballer to be officially chased by the Interpol <laughs> for drug smuggling. So unfortunately, Mister Brunswick won't be able to fly to Honduras for the return fixture. Otherwise, he would get arrested. But Rory, I will let you. I, I will let you tell the listeners what what is the most beautiful part of the story. What happened in the locker rooms after the game? Well-
0: on Instagram, I couldn't believe it. Now, obviously, being a 60-year-old man and having the power to substitute yourself onto a gay, into a game, I kind of respect that. I like to think I would do the same if I was like a millionaire and mad. Uh, but the video of him handing out cash, like the players are literally waiting for him in a line as he hands out the cash to each player is possibly the most incriminating evidence I've ever seen, even within the world of football where FIFA exists. It is the most incriminating evidence I've ever seen.
1: Strong Pablo Escobar vibes. That's that's what I got. Major, man. major, definitely. Like, I don't care if I'm fat and I'm sixty. I'm going to play, and then fuck the Interpol. This video is going to go viral of me handing out dollar bills to the opposition players. It you was, just think at least should be like, is that guy is that guy in the corner recording? Tell him to put the fucking phone away. Tell him to put the phone away. <laughs> at the sports club, maps, please, bro, David. Uh, you have to make a map of Suriname, uh, possibly with uh, Ron Brunson, face looming over the island.
0: I think maybe just a pinpoint of where his prison cell is, which where (laughs) his prison
1: cell is in the country,
0: that would be nice.
1: Whenever he gets caught. Beautiful. (laughs) Always around the world, I don't know if you read this, Rory, but an Austrian ninth tier uh, player was banned for 48 games after headbutting an opposition player and breaking his nose. Zinedine Zidane is impressed.
0: Well wow, I right. Is it bad that my first impression was, wow, forty-eight games is quite long, right? <laughs> is yeah,
1: it is it? I <laughs> is was thinking bad? about it as well. It's like one season and a half, pretty much.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know it's assault, right? It's assault. So technically you could be in, in prison, I suppose. So 48 match ban isn't that bad, but it still seems long. Weird, but I'm that, not yeah. I'm
1: not done with our <laughs> tour of the world, Rory. I'm going to fly us to Turkey, where a certain Mr. Mario Balotelli yeah. now. Thirty-one years old. Do you ever think that that man has grown up to be thirty-one years old? I don't I'm, think
0: he's. I don't think he's grown up. He's just got yeah, older. I think yeah. there's a difference, right? <laughs> Very good.
1: Very good. Age-wise, is just older. So he plays in Turkey now. I don't even. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of his team. But he's coached by Vincenzo Montella. So he goes in the pitch, they're losing the game, Um, he goes in the pitch, and he scores a very Balotelli-like goal. You know, just like strolling. It's a great goal. It's a great goal. It looks like the one he scored for AC Milan against Parma. You know, he's Mm. just strolling down the pitch, then he picks the faraway (laughs) corner and just slams it in. Now, what does Mario do? Mario goes to the opposition bench and he starts pointing at his head while doing a weird dance and pointing at the opposition's manager. Now, I wonder, Mario Balotelli, what kind of memory do you have? Because all of this happened. Because back in the day, when Mario Balotelli used to play at Man City, you probably remember that incredible miss that he had during a friendly match in the United States. So he was oh, giving the, ball. Just
0: the back heel.
1: Exactly. He he does the back heel and misses. And Mancini on the sideline went absolutely crazy. They had a fight afterwards Mm -hmm. and everybody around the world started saying, well, this kid is very talented, but he's a bit of a (laughs) nutjob. He might be an idiot. Everybody around the world was saying that. And this manager on Turkish television, and (laughs) I I don't think Balotelli watches Turkish television, went on and simply said, yeah, Balotelli is a player with no brain. Man, 10 years later, Mario Balotelli scores against the sad manager and goes (laughs) celebrating in front of him. And then even assists his teammate for the final 2-2. What happened in your opinion, Rory, when the final whistle came in? Um
0: I imagine he was dignified, quiet, and just left the pitch without any fuss, right?
1: Exactly. There was a big brawl, Mario <laughs> yeah. yeah, he gets he gets older, but he never grows up. And I think uh, I, I, I think that's my last news from around the world. Actually feel in a second plus like-
0: no I, sorry I feel like is definitely someone that searches his own name on Twitter though. If you know what I mean like you don't have to tag you don't you don't have to tag him in tweets for him to see you slagging him off, right? I feel like he sits and types Mario Balotelli latest and just goes through what people are saying about him. I definitely get that vibe from him. Um but before we move on I'm going to very quickly take us on a very short surprise trip to Bosnia. I shared this on Twitter in the Premier League in Bosnia there was recently a dog that ran onto the pitch to um interrupt the game he managed to get the ball in his mouth and nutmeg one of the players and he looked absolutely furious with it if you've not seen it go on our twitter check it out it's fantastic
1: the arsenal management is already after said dog (laughs) He's he's gonna wear the number nine jersey next year but let's go also quickly to spain because i saw this post from the page at insta troll football um, that said, since coman said this club has a future only thanks to me, Barcelona lost 0-3 to Bayern with zero shots on target for the first ever time in Blaugrana history and then proceeded to draw 1-1 with Granada thanks to a last-minute winner. And at the end of that game that I didn't watch, apparently... Gerard Piquet played 20 minutes up front and at least 15 crosses were attempted to make him score. What do you think of that tactics?
0: I watched the end of the game because I saw that Granada were winning. I was like, okay, let's just see how bad Barcelona are. And my God, they are terrible. They are utterly terrible. They seem so ponderous, slow, lost. And it was just like... Um, regular listeners will remember all the way back when we had Uncle Sharma on and he was talking about Inshallah and Cross, like Inshallah and Inchalant, score, that, right?
1: That was a Spalletti's tactic, yeah, tactics. Yeah, this at was
0: honestly that to a new level. And yeah, he brought on PK off the bench to play up front. Um, it It gave me massive vibes of like,
1: well, He's Mourinho used to play Mourinho used to play with Materazzi up top when we were down in the dying minutes of a game.
0: Yeah, I kind of got the vibe. I don't know if you remember this, but Stuart Pearce, years ago, when he was in charge of Manchester City, he brought on David James, obviously a goalkeeper. He brought him off the bench to play striker, right? And it was this yeah. mad thing, and it just didn't work at all. And I thought, it must be such a massive slap in the face to the striker who's on the bench, right? <laughs> Where you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah you're a striker, but... No, you're. I think you're properly shit, right? So I think like whichever striker was on the bench, it must be a massive slap in the face. If he's like, oh no, you know this thirty-five-year-old centre back we've got. We're just going to chuck him up instead. But I don't know. kuman is. Um, if there was ever a mask of him being like a, a great manager or a nice guy or whatever, it's
1: slipping fairly quickly. I think. Yeah, and he looks like a dick. I'm just going to say it. it doesn't he look is. Like I think fun, he but-
0: is. I think he. I think he is. Despite me whilst I'm recording, I'm wearing a Holland shirt, I will still never forgive him for how he cheated England out of the 94 World Cup and absolutely cheated us out of it. Um, Yeah, I think he's kind of fairly well-known to be a bit of a troublesome person.
1: And I have two more news before we jump to our actual Euro review of English and Italian football. So one, allow me to get out of Europe's top five leagues. We're going to quickly talk about League 1. (laughs) <laughs> Did you catch my, my great <laughs> story? All right? the way down to Ooh. the minor leagues. Yeah, yeah, all the way down as PSG struggle again with Anakimi, last second winner versus Mats. Earlier in the game, look this up Mbappe almost scored any possible goal while attempting to return the ball to the opposition's goalkeeper. Now, it was uh, a Mets player got injured, he fell down, they asked to stop the game, the PSG players uh, stopped the game, and then the ball was to be returned. And um, Mbappé just puts the ball down, man, from way off. And he just, like, without even really looking, it just like slams it in towards the towards the goalkeeper. And you see the goalkeeper looking at the trajectory of the ball and in the end he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and he actually turns around and he saves it while facing goal, then blocks it and proceeds to point Mbappé and yelling at him, you're a piece of shit. And Bappé is like, you're a goalkeeper, right? (laughs) And he just walks (laughs) up. Now, I did watch this clip three times just to see... I speak French. No big deal. Just to see (laughs) the lip, just to do the lip reading. And it says, you're a goalkeeper. Come on. And (laughs) finally, this is non-football related news. But uh, an Italo-Moroccan blue-collar boxer last night defeated an Italian neo-Nazi boxer... With SS Gestapo and Hitler tattoos all over his upper body. Now it's a scandal that this person, this problem, wasn't addressed before. Mm-hmm. But this was the first—I mean, not saying—but this was the first big uh, match that he was doing, and the Italian Boxing Feder- Federation has finally stepped in and said, "We condemn your looks. You cannot compete anymore with said tattoos on your body." Well, good job to the Moroccan guy for absolutely smashing the shit out of his face. Good. And finally, (laughs) Rory, are we ready for the Euro review?
0: I think we're ready to go. I think we're ready to go.
1: Let's do it.
0: And here we are, time for the Euro review. And in England, it was a bit of cup magic um, in the League Cup as we had... Manchester United taking on West Ham a matter of days after that incredibly exciting um, finish at the London Stadium they had a rematch at Old Trafford and this time it did not go to plan for Oli and his boys as a Lanzini goal put West Ham 1-0 up and ultimately saw them through to the next round where they might not be thankful for this. They have to face Man City in the next round. But a great performance for West Ham. Not so much for Manchester United. We're going to pick it apart a little bit. But Tommy, what are we thinking about West Ham and David Moyes? His second coming is insane.
1: I feel like uh, West Ham is a team uh, outside of the top six, top eight teams. I think is the English team that we cover the most and that has given us quite a lot to cheer about over the past two years of course we're sort of biased because tom good friend of the pod who is a west ham fan and he was at the game as well correct
0: he was at the game he was at the game yeah 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 he was absolutely over the moon last night when i did message him um obviously it's only a short journey from uh from crew so him and a mate of mine went they said the atmosphere was fantastic west ham played great um and that it's weird because I think last season when we were talking about West Ham maybe we thought it was going to be like a one season wonder. I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but yeah. I thought maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be like a good season and then they'd kind of like find their median again. But it kind of feels like they're not going anywhere. And which is great, which is great. And I feel like Moyes after a career that started so well at Preston and Everton and then went so badly at Manchester United at Real Sociedad I think people forget he was out in Spain yep. at Sunderland like I can't remember where else he was even his first spell at West Ham wasn't that like, great it feels like he's really turned his career around a little bit and I think what he's done is he's changed he's changed his style of football to fit modern football or and I, th- I feel like not a lot of managers do that a lot of managers get stuck in a certain time and mm-hmm. they just don't move like even mm-hmm. managers like Mourinho you could kind of point that stick yeah, a little bit yeah, I agree. and there's certain managers that they get jobs forever it seems and then all of a sudden they just never get a job again because they just don't move on and I was worried that David Moyes would hit that point when he was sacked by West Ham but it seems like he's kind of looked at himself thought, right how what do I need to change to be able to be successful and he's done it like this West Ham team are so incredibly well coached like I've seen Man United fans saying it was a second string United side it was a second string West Ham team. Like, that mm. was not their first 11. But the difference is they're well coached. Every player in that squad knows that when they're playing, they know what their job is, right? Mm-hmm. And off the ball, I don't think there are many better teams than West Ham at the moment. The way they have the kind of low block and break is so effective. And I think just we're going to be saying it a- across the course of the year, I think, but just we, it needs to be said how good a job David Moyes is doing and how well West are doing. Mean, it's great to see like their fans have been through a fair amount of shit over quite a long time
1: and yeah, I think and it's the- nice
0: for them to be able to see some good things right
1: I think it's also nice for a man to see that a manager has struggled but sort of like kept kept doing what he knows he can do mm-hmm. and improve yeah and change their ideas but I I think the headline here is about Mark Noble, um, West Ham's captain, after missing the penalty last weekend against Manchester United. This time around, we can say that it really dropped the captain's performance. Correct, Orari?
0: Definitely. Definitely. He was
1: absolutely key in
0: it. He also could have had a goal at the end. Should have. Could have had a goal at the end. Um, what I did like was his comments after the game. So during the game, um, Jesse Lingard. Now, I think he went down quite softly. There was definitely a pull on the shirt, but it wasn't a penalty. I think he was looking to go down more than looking to score the goal. But Mark Noble, after the game, came out and said, well, look, he dived. But you'll notice that he didn't do that when he was at West Ham. He's only done it since he got here, which I did love Ooh. as a little as a little dig. Um, nice. But there was also a great story midweek from Mark Noble about... Because obviously, after missing that penalty and... It, it meant obviously it meant a lot for him to miss that penalty. And he was quite upset about it. He said over the weekend, he, um, he was going out for his wife's birthday. They were going on the train and he bumped into the train driver who was a West Ham fan. Um And this guy had like served in Afghanistan and he was talking to Mark Noble just about how much like he loved him and how much he loved West Ham and Mark and, mark noble released this video afterwards saying look i don't know who he was but you need to get in contact because that conversation meant so much to me like i was feeling really down and you
1: kind of just Single, how we talked yeah
0: yeah how we talked and how you kind of showed your how much you care about west ham and it it really cheered him up um so he said he's looking for this west ham fan to kind of host him and his family down at the um at the london stadium and i think it's just, it sums up what type of man he is and how
1: important he is to that club. Luckily, that we know for a fact that that train driver listens to the Anglo Italian podcast. Yeah, so exactly.
0: Well, he has to. He has to. Our, yeah, well, our, our listeners are, are, are in the millions now. So, by law of odds, he has to, right? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. If not a million, <laughs> hundreds, hundreds <Yeah>. of thousands. <laughs> but this was not the only game played midweek, Rory. Do we want to go Gunner's side? Um Let's go super quickly to Arsenal because because one, they are unstoppable, guys. Three are, consecutive wins without conceding a goal.
0: Wow! Three, yeah, three consecutive wins, three consecutive clean sheets. We are coming for the title, guys. Um, it look, titles.
1: It let's f- put an <laughs> S at the end of that word, right there. It
0: felt like honestly last night. It felt like being back in like the nineties. I actually couldn't physically watch a game, like there was nothing I could do. There was no broadcast. There was no stream. It was just, if you're not at the stadium, you can't see the game. Now, part of me was like, oh, for fuck's sake, I kind of really wanted to watch the game. Then part of me was like, oh, I quite like this, right? There was only the people in that ground were able to experience that game at that time. I quite like that. There's something like quite, quaint about that i think or maybe you're
1: very bad at looking for streaming uh no trust me (laughs) i'm pretty sure
0: it was trending on twitter like how to watch the arsenal game online people like where the fuck is it like nobody can watch it i i Um, think
1: i think i will finally pay for a full-on subscription because man every time i find the streaming website there are all these girls that live 300 meters from my house that want to have sex with me now are also just, lonely is is crazy. Yeah. Now I want to just address this to Aisha. She texted me multiple times on my screen and she was online at all <laughs> times. She lives only 100 meters from my house. Aisha, look, I I mean you're lovely, but I was just trying to watch go some outside. football. Go, go outside, take a walk. Also she looked pretty AF, alright, but well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to Arsenal well, back, back to
0: Arsenal. Back to Arsenal. Um Part of me was kind of... Yeah, so part of me liked that we couldn't really see the game. Um, I've seen the highlights. Look, um, by all accounts, Wimbledon gave a really, really good account of themselves. League One team, their fans have been through all sorts, like their club being moved, their club not existing. AFC Wimbledon have started from Sunday League, basically, and worked their way back up to League One, like an incredible club. Great day out for the fans. There were 8,000 AFC Wimbledon fans at the Emirates last night, which is insane. Um, They... It was only 1-0 up until the 70th minute, and that was a penalty. So it probably says quite a lot about the Arsenal team and just how fantastic these wins have been. But towards the end, AFC Wimbledon tired. tired. Um, Arsenal got the two goals, and Ketia scored a beautiful back heel. This guy kind of confuses me a little bit, because when I see him play and when he comes on, I'm like, he always seems to score when he comes on. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, maybe he could do something. But then he's not quite the level we need. I don't know, he confuses me, but he really stood out last night again against League One opposition, it has to be said. But look, I think this is an exercise for Arsenal in building confidence, right? Mm -hmm. This is just let's just get the W, get the like, keep a clean sheet. It's all about momentum, all about momentum. Because as much as this is like a positive run for Arsenal, it does still feel like it's built on sand, and one negative result could send us right back down again. So I feel like it really is an exercise in building confidence. But 3-0, we'll be playing Leeds in the next round, which should be an interesting game. I think it's quite exciting. Um, and yeah. no complaints from me, really. Um, just a nice, efficient win. Smith Rowe got another goal, so his first goal of the season. Hopefully, that warms him up ahead of the North London derby this weekend. Fingers
1: crossed. And 8,000 fans at the Arsenal Stadium from Wimbledon, yeah?
0: Yep, yeah, just yeah. It was fifty thousand in total, so a big attendance for a league cup, a league cup game against a league one team. That's a big attendance, and yeah, eight thousand fans from Wimbledon. So, hats off to your Wimbledon fans or Dons, I believe they're called. Um And yeah, they played. They did play really well.
1: They did play really well. Next up, we've got Villa Chelsea one-one penalties, right? I, I did see a beautiful video of Rhys James' penalty right from behind the goal. And uh, I don't know, man, I miss going to the stadium. We might go this weekend to see Inter-Atalanta on Saturday. But Rory, what did you think about this game?
0: Um, it was an interesting one because Aston Villa very much had like a second string side. They had a lot of their youngsters, um, as they have done throughout the Cup. And... Um, and Chelsea also had a few of their like their second string team, but their second streams their second string team could arguably still do very well in the Premier League, right? Their second string team is like Chilwell, uh Ross Barkley, like Timo Werner. It's not bad, right? but for villa with all the youngsters they did they played really really well took them to penalties and you can't really ask for much more than that the young striker who got the goal for villa cameron archer he had he now has four goals in two league cup games after getting a hat trick in the previous round and the goal he scored was a beautiful header the cross in and he just met it perfectly and like all the strength in his neck straight into the ball and it was a great beautiful header um But the player that stuck out for me most for Chelsea was Ruben Loftus Cheek. And this is a player that there's been a bit of excitement around for a while in England. He's 25 now. And I think people forget that. He's kind of he should be playing regular football. He's had a few injuries. He's been in and out of the Chelsea team, out on loan here, out on loan there. But when you see him play, you realize this guy is good. If he could get a move to a club that where he could get a regular run, I really think he could be like knocking on the door of the England squad. Like the guy is really good. He's just not getting that place at Chelsea and while he's only getting league cup games here and there you feel like oh, that's not going to change but i just wanted to point out just how good a performance he had um you're right Reese James scored the winning penalty Ashley Young hit the crossbar with his unfortunately oh, Wesley um, Inter
1: legend Inter scudetto winner don't forget <laughs> it exactly
0: exactly the first player to win Serie A and Premier League right yep um he unfortunately missed his uh, missed his penalty um, and it was Kepa in goals again. I think it's just a lot of like around Chelsea at the moment. It's just they've got so much strength in depth. Look, but- I
1: think I think a lot goes to to Shellman. Even the fact that he has a sort of reintroduced the Kepa to the squad, if not regularly, well, he knows he's got his chances, and sometimes he's ended also mm-hmm. big, big chances. I think he's managed that incredibly Mm -hmm. it's never easy to have two goalkeepers ask psg about it um that could potentially start a game i think mandy has been doing incredibly but at the same time i think tuchel knows that i look for goalkeepers it's a lot about the the mental and they think Mm -hmm. that Kepa just hit a wall and we mentioned in the last week's pod That stuff that I had read about Tuchel, how he really works on people's brains, like he wants them to really think while they're playing, Um, it feels like he does quite a bit of psychological work with his players as well. And so good job also for giving uh, faith back to Kepa.
0: I don't know about you, but have you noticed that maybe more sides are like trying to have two goalkeepers now? Like. Different goalkeepers for different situations because I could think, for example, that Arsenal have I'm two thinking goalkeepers of very much-
1: who have got none. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: true. That's another, you know, you can go the other way and just, yeah, you can go the other way. way. <laughs> you have a strong back line, but
1: no goalkeeper. Yep.
0: But I feel like because with Arsenal, we've got Leno and Ramsdale, and nobody really knows who's going to be first choice. And I feel like maybe for different games, we will play different goalkeepers, like depending on the tactics. Maybe this is a thing that we're going to see with teams like if. You are going to play out from the back. You're going to have your keeper who's better on the ball. But if you're not, you're going to have your keeper who's a better, like, I don't know shot stopper or or I don't know I just I'm I'm literally thinking out loud I just feel like maybe I'm kind of noticing this more or maybe it's just people aren't able to sell players they don't want I don't know it's
1: kind of I don't know it kind yeah maybe it's that well also the I was thinking the other day that Kepa Ritzabalaga is the most expensive goalkeeper ever of all time it's not mentioned
0: enough how much money they spent on that
1: mm, guy by the way yeah it's ridiculous but I'm uh, I don't like this you know how big of a goalie head I am Mm -hmm. and to me the goalkeeper should be one One goalkeeper that plays every game consistently. And then there is the second string keeper who is also a very talented keeper. He's always ready to go. Uh, Of course, he's not at the level of the the first one, but he's always ready to go at any moment. Somebody with a very strong mental, ready to get in whenever he needs. And then I I would, at my club, I would ideally want a goalkeeper that plays every game there for like a good five six years. Then the second keeper, maybe we give him on loan here and there. And by the time he comes back, he's ready to be the first string mm-hmm. keeper until yeah, we yeah. find a better one. That's what I would do, personally. But Rory, before you go on a big rant about foreigners not getting English culture, let's go I to feel Norwich. I like that needs to be caveated, but yeah, go on. <laughs> no, 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 you, you will have a chance to do that later. Norwich, Liverpool, zero three. 3 What do you have to tell us about the mighty Reds?
0: um minamino getting two goals and i feel again this is a player who he came in from rb salzburg i want to say or leipzig one of the rb teams can never remember which one (laughs) um after all the bloody same rb fill in the blank he came from there and i think he went out on loan at southampton last season and did quite well there by all accounts and whenever i've seen him in a liverpool shirt he seems to score he gets a goal he gets an assist i just wonder if it's Maybe time. We know that Liverpool can't really spend money at the moment and they're trying to build another squad. I just wonder if Minamino, we're going to see a bit more of him. Not only because I enjoy seeing his name, Minamino, but I do actually quite like him as a player. He's always entertaining to watch. And another great performance from him. Fairly comfortable result for Liverpool. Norwich's focus definitely isn't the League Cup. Their focus is definitely trying to stay in the Premier League. So I think no one's surprised by this result. But just wanted to give Takasumi Mm -hmm. a
1: shout-out. Yeah. Yeah, I said, "Mm mm-hmm, as if I knew how to pronounce his name correctly. I'm big on Japanese, right? (laughs) But Roy, I've got a crazy stat for you that I saw at Football on Instagram once again. Top African goal scorers in English Premier League history. We've got Drogba first at 104 goals, followed by Mohamed Salah at 101. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is that Salah is not a striker. And Drogba had 91 more games than the Egyptian to get to 104. Let that sink in. And since you we were do, talking... Yeah, you don't we, want to set me off on Drogba, by the way.
0: You don't want to set me off on it. Yeah, Chelsea fans regularly argue on Twitter about how Drogba was better than
1: Omri, and it infuriates me every look, single time. Yeah. Look, as much as my opinion matter, doesn't matter, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For what my opinion can matter. That's what I wanted to say. I think Drogba has scored one of my favorite goals of all time in the Champions League final against it's Bayern a great Munich. Header. It's a great that header. header is insane, but I wouldn't go as far as calling him a more iconic slash a better player than Thierry Henry. He was... he. I mean, when Drogba... Drogba was one of those players that when he didn't play very well, which was rare, he felt kind of heavy, like a heavy presence on the pitch. Thierry Ri was always, you know, like this, like skinny lizard, like waving his way throughout the the pitch. But another crazy thing about uh, Salah, I also read that, I actually remembered this, but I had forgotten about it, that Barcelona had, basically, they they were at uh, crossroads and they could choose whether to sign Mohamed Salah for 35 million euros or Usman Dembele for 125 How
0: did I know it was going to be Dembele? How did I know it was going to be Dembele before you said it?
1: God, it was just like, just go for the higher price tag. The fans are going to be happier. What such, such such an intelligent way of doing business, right?
0: Yeah, it costs more. Therefore, it has to be better, right? That's how money works, right? That's how money works.
1: And now it's time for our customary Rory being racist to foreigners. Come on, come on. Just say it. Just say it, Rory. Just right. say it. Uh,
0: here we go. I've got a new tattoo to show you on my chest. No, um, what it is, it is.
1: Are you into boxing as well?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met this Moroccan guy. It turned out he was quite angry. Um, but anyway, uh, what really? I, I really am starting to dislike Pep Guardiola. I really am starting to dislike Racist. Him. I feel that there's a few things. The I'm not going (laughs) to. I'm trying not to go off on the deep end, but the way he sticks up for Catalan independence, which is absolutely his right, good. He's spoken up about the journalists that have been imprisoned, whatever else that's good. But doesn't speak up for what his owners do, right? That hypocrisy has never really sat um, well with me. But that's not the point. What made me angry this week about him is that again he has been talking about how B teams should be introduced into the football league pyramid. Now I grew up watching the football league. I grew up watching Coral Alexandra and it is a team that is very important to the community. Um, It's a team with, for a lower league team, a very good history, a great, like lots of great players have come through that club. There are so many games and grounds that I've been to that means so much to me a part of my childhood, like going to Wembley for playoff finals. And, the one of the greatest things about English football is the lower league pyramid. And when I go abroad, and I think I've talked to you and your friends about it as well, they're always amazed by how many people watch the lower leagues in the, in England. Like League Two clubs will get four five four thousand five thousand fans. There is no way you're getting that in Serie A. Not really. Apart from like there's exception clubs, but you're not really getting that.
1: No.
0: Um, no, no, no. And uh, so. What is annoying me is that Pep Guardiola, despite being in the country, he's been at City for a long time now, right? And he says that he loves English football, he loves the football culture, but he still singularly fails to understand it. Um, and I think he also needs to realize that football isn't designed to, like, or it shouldn't be designed to fit the top six and what yeah, the top to six accommodate needs, the best right? team yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because he's talking about well, I need my players to be able to develop against better clubs and against better players. Fine, we'll send them on loan again. Send them on loan then. Like we do not want to play Man City's reserves. And I saw a great um thread yesterday. I'm just finding it. It turns out I retweet a lot.
1: Um Sorry, and it is
0: by oh god, I've missed it. Um,
1: he's, he's missed back. it by the way on twitter you find us at italian anglo pod Go he got
0: it is by gabriel sutton at gab sutton and he talks about it and what he does is he he talks about great moments in the football league so when manchester city the actual club that pep guardiola was managing had a um, second division playoff against gillingham it was this incredible game one on penalties it was like 4-4 in extra time it was an incredible game he said imagine that game and it was against Manchester United Reserves or, like, Aston Villa Reserves. Like, are fans going to turn up? There would be no opposition fans in the stand for one For one, because nobody's going to turn up to watch their reserve side, right? And all of a sudden, you've got this team that means so much to their town playing against a team that no one gives a crap about. And, like, in Spain, you've got Castilla have won the second division more than any other team but can't be promoted, which makes a complete mockery of the league anyway. I just feel like he needs to... One, stop talking about it. I hope it never happens. Maybe it is going to happen, but please stop talking about it. Um And then he was also trying to play the fucking victim card with, oh, I've got to play youngsters because I've got a threadbare squad. You've only spent a billion pounds on players. How? Do not moan about squad depth at Manchester City.
1: So, Do not. To, to sum it up, Rory, could we say that your bottom line is keep Britain British?
0: Uh, Yeah, undoubtedly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Undoubtedly. <laughs> undoubtedly. <laughs>
1: of course God, we're that joking. could be clipped but, so badly uh, if dude, people clip that like a big dude coach. but well it's out of context we're joking you know as guys we make these little i make these little jokes i like to make rory uncomfortable but i, I voted
0: remain i voted remain guys i voted remain
1: but in uh in um in other i i think in all seriousness that Guardiola is kind of paving his way out of Man City mm-hmm. by making people dislike him. So it all started with their comment about like please come to watch the game against QPR. <laughs> like, what was it? What team was it? It's Not so it. To... And yeah, it was so nil-nil. nil nil. Yeah, yeah, and it nil-nil. was a nil-nil, please come here, spend your money to watch us. And then it's like, no, but this is doesn't this doesn't work. We should have like a second team playing in the football league. And then it's like, oh, I don't have a squad depth. And just like, all right, Guardiola, you are doing it purposely to get disliked, and then like get out at the end of it the season. It has to
0: be on purpose at this point, right? And also, they've got one of the most expensive academies in the country. Use your bloody youngsters. When he was at Barcelona, he used to always go on about how he loves playing young players. Use them, then. Use them. By like, the way, I...
1: about, about younger players and uh, club management, I read a very interesting article about uh, Brentford and how they basically adopted the sort of money ball... You know Moneyball, the movie? Moneyball the
0: my favorite sports film, I think. Yeah, 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 it's great. Yeah, yeah. And
1: basically, they built the club, the club's philosophy on XG, thanks to their their owner, um, who who was really into data analysis. His name is Benham. Um, let me look for the name. Benham, Benham, well, his last name is Benham, and uh, he teamed up with uh, a, Danish, uh, a Danish, a, da- a Dane called uh, Rasmus Ankersen, mm-hmm. and he started, you know, really falling for statistics and XGs. He uh, put a bunch of money on uh, Brentford in um, in two thousand and seven when Frank- Brentford were doing really badly, with the option that in case they couldn't pay him back, he would own the club. So that happened. He wasn't; uh, they weren't able to pay him back, so he became the club owner, and they built the the team around the XGs, just studying XGs, and then this very interesting thing of getting players that were discarded from big academies. In England... And then reinserting them in their team, making their name become big again, and then selling them for like five or six times the price they had purchased them for. And uh, I think it's great. It's well, a very good article, again, by this uh, online magazine called the Rivista Contrasti. Of course, mm-hmm. it's all in Italian, but they have some very, very good articles. And uh, this one also shone a light on the, on the neighborhood of Brentford. I didn't even know they were from London. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It's,
0: a, it's a part of South London, I think. No, North London, Brentford, North London. Brantford.
1: I have no idea, but in their in their uh, in their old uh, stadium, Griffin Park, they had as many as four pubs within the stadium, yep. one yeah, at every yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah. They were called the the Griffin, the Royal Oak the princess royal and the new inn which spoiler alert is the name that every pub has in england yeah, yeah, like yeah sure. i've seen 20 royal oaks in coventry alone <laughs> when i visited
0: well it's yeah they so brentford are like an incredibly well run club it's where ivan tony like their new star striker they picked him up after he was released from newcastle um and I, f- I feel like they they have the same model as FC Midgetland in Dan in Denmark. They yeah, have the, the owner, same. The, the owner yeah. is the
1: same. The owner is yeah. The same. They
0: have the same kind of system there. So it's a great partnership. The so in the League Cup this week they they beat Oldham seven nil. Now the bad thing about this is that Brentford are an incredibly well-run club, as we're talking about, and Oldham are the exact opposite um their fans are currently protesting against their owners they are fighting for their very survival and they are currently bottom of league two so facing going into the semi-professional leagues um and it just just (laughs) as well as the seven nil it's just a bit more salt in the wound of like the the disparity between the two clubs and um Look, I really hope that the Oldham fans manage to get what they want. They get the owners out, they can get their finances sorted and they don't go into administration. There's been so many clubs recently in England that this has happened to, Bury, um, that went out of existence. I just hope Oldham don't follow them too soon. So, yeah, <laughs> our Good thoughts luck. are with you, Latics. We hope you manage to get through it.
1: Good luck, boys. Rory, we'll leave the weekend preview for the end of our year review and let's take a plane. Pssh, and land in Italy. As we are recording on sound (laughs) effects, that's incredible. Yeah, I was like, Am I gonna look up a sound effect and put it in the editing? No, I'm just gonna do it. You wanna hear it when you can do it with your mouth? Just do it with your (laughs) mouth. Yeah, it doesn't sound like playing at all. As we are recording on a Thursday afternoon, Sampdoria are currently losing to big time table leaders Napoli, thanks to a goal by my fantasy football striker who goes by the name who of Victor Oziman? Yeah, Rory, you purchased him in the wrong season last year.
0: Honestly, and the thing (laughs) is, right, when you bought him, I was like... Tommy's only buying him because I had him last year. It's so oh, annoying. No, no. I'm buying him <laughs> so because annoying. I
1: really like him as a player. But Just I, wait. Yeah, tell me, tell me.
0: I'm currently hoping that Qualiarella is going to get an equalizer because he is my other striker in fantasy. And I would like to absolutely batter who I'm playing this week. So, oh, yeah, another goal. He's the table be leader.
1: He's the table leader. So, you want to beat him. But, Napoli, guys, uh, if they do win this game, you will know by the time you're listening. They will be table leaders with five games played, five wins, zero draws, and zero losses. Spalletti is doing an incredible job at Napoli. He also took a break from football, but unlike Allegri, he didn't go back to his ex-girlfriend. We're going to cover that soon. But look, Napoli, I'm, of course, I'm not watching the game right now because we're recording the episode, but Napoli play exciting football. Mm-hmm. It feels they have a lot of options up front. Somebody was questioning Ozyman because he's going to be leaving for the Africa Cup of Nations in January. But even without Ozyman up front, they've got Insigne, Mertens, Petagna... Elmas, Onas, they've got so many players. Their back line, Koulidou-Koulibaly has already got two goals in back-to-back games. That goal
0: last weekend was unbelievable. That absolute rocket. I don't think we talked about it, did we? Was it Monday night? It was Monday yeah. night, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah. what it was, a goal.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It was on Monday night against Napoli. But again, both goals that... There were two goals that Napoli uh, scored that were big-time set mm. plays played yeah, yeah, yeah. to perfection. So And it was the two centre-backs who ended up scoring. Mm. Ramani, the first one, and Koulibaly, the second one. They ended up winning very comfortably against the Nudinese side that hadn't... They won 4-0 against the Nudinese side that hadn't lost a game yet. So they're looking very impressive. Neapolitans, our friend Rafa, we might want to have him on again. Mm. Just don't get too excited yet. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't blow it.
0: Can I... I are you surprised by how exciting the football is at Napoli under Spalletti? Because I feel like the football was never that exciting at Inter under Spalletti.
1: I, look, it wasn't exciting because Inter kind of had the squad and they wanted the squad to play well. Right. Uh, remember that Napoli didn't purchase anybody this summer; they didn't do any transfers. Uh, it That's was insane. pretty much yeah. yeah, yeah only, I forgot the that. only I one, forgot. the only one was Zambo Anguissa, who of by course. the way is. Fucking incredible! <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, he was the only he was the only purchase over the mm. summer, and I think that it was just like, look, uh, Luciano, and Luciano is a Spalletti. This is what we can give you. Do the best you can do, mm. and maybe, like you were saying about Moyes, he's taken two years off coaching, yeah, and yeah, maybe yeah. he's also evolved his philosophy a little bit. Look, if you look at the first Spalletti that coached the Roma, he looks like a different man. He's changed a lot over his career. He was a sort of chav, you know, with like the goatee and the golden chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like a pretty respectable man. So good uh, luck to Napoli. And as we're talking, also Torino and Lazio are playing, but nobody has managed to break the deadlock yet at the 30th minute mark. On Tuesday night, we had Bologna Genoa 2-2, Atalanta Sassuolo 2-1, and uh, Fiorentina Inter 1-3. Did you get to watch any of these games, Rory?
0: I didn't. I was actually playing football myself for the first time in a while, which was nice, but I had the notifications coming through every five minutes when I had to stop and take a, a drink of water because I was blowing out of my arse. Turns out I've not been running enough recently. Um, <laughs> but I have seen the highlights of the intergame. game. Perisic, getting a goal, another one for the fantasy. Sorry, listeners, we're going to be talking about fantasy football a lot this season, <laughs> I feel like. But Perisic getting a goal. domian who was on my bloody bench, he got a goal. And who got the other one? I can't remember now. Zeko,
1: Zeko got Zeko, the... of course it was. So this game, guys, this game was a very good game. And Fiorentina are a very good team. We've said... Mm. Oftentimes, that Italiano is no mug, their manager. He brought Spezia back to Serie A for the first time in 40-odd years. He managed to keep them up last year, which was no easy task, Mm -hmm. and he made them play very good football. And you can see, like, really, Fiorentina have struggled with good managers recently. You can really see that his ideas... They play very fluid football. They're very attacking. And in the first 15 minutes, they already had three shots on target. But guess what? Sami Randanovic, this time around, was actually diving. And he had some crucial, crucial saves on Vlaovic and on uh, Nico Gonzalez. I Mm -hmm. believe in the second. So we went down 1 0 uh, with a goal by Sotil. It was kind of an easy tap in. And mm-hmm. in the second half, I really liked how Inter changed their mentality. Bim, boom, bam! Seven minutes in, Darmian scores a goal, and now Darmian has scored five goals for Inter, and four of them were extremely heavy. So he scored the one nil against Muciglada Bach in last mm-hmm. year's uh, Champions League, and the final result, Inter ended up winning three two. So his goal was crucial. He scored the one nil against Cagliari on match day thirty last year. And that was the final result. He did the same thing five games later against Verona, and we ended up winning the game only one nil. And then he scored the the goal to draw the game against Fiorentina uh, on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. So very heavy goals coming from Matteo Darmian. And then it's crazy.
0: It's crazy because at Manchester United it really didn't work out. And then he went to Palmer, right? Was he at Palmer? And it was just a bit. Mm-hmm. Average, And then Inter picked him up. And I think a few people thought, okay, it's just a bench warmer. It'll be like in case of emergency. And you're right. He always seems to pop up with like really clutch, as the Americans say, goals,
1: right? I really like that expression. Yeah, he's a clutch player indeed. But that man is Conte. That is Antonio Conte who can revive mm-hmm. that player. I feel like you get the Conte treatment and you think you can really conquer the world. And he's, he's doing great. I have a question. So you watch the highlights. You really watch the game. Do you think Inter are playing better than last year?
0: Uh, I don't know. I
1: No. No. Look, my idea, and I did read a guy saying exactly the same thing today on Twitter. And my idea is that with Lukaku, we played in a very geometrical sort of set way. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. you got Lukaku up front, and everybody's kind of playing to give the ball either to Lukaku or to Lautaro, right? Um, and then they're going to figure out a way to score a goal. I feel like without Lukaku up front, the way Conte was playing with him, the other players have more freedom, but also mm-hmm. anybody can be a protagonist on the pitch. It's not We're not relying on that yeah. one guy to score the heavy goals. It feels like everybody can step up and have a shot at their... Um, in in their performance in the game.
0: I like like that. I feel like because you see it with teams when they do rely on players for too long, (laughs) Juventus, mm -hmm. it can go either one or two ways, right? That Like all of a sudden they look lost or all of a sudden everybody has more confidence and more freedom and they're more able to express themselves. I think um, we know that under Conte, the football is quite rigid and he as a person is quite rigid. So that can't be a massive surprise. But I think, Maybe I was more – maybe it's because Inter kind of ran away with it a bit quicker
1: last year, it feels like.
0: Like, I don't know whether they've been the – or they were the – only team to impress early on maybe i'm forgetting maybe i'm remembering there was there was a big push
1: with ac milan as well and juventus yeah okay it was tight for a big part of the season but this is the second time this season that inter come back from one goal down and that end up winning three one some people were questioning okay zeko has already scored the three goals but we were already you know big time winning those games Mm -hmm. can he score heavy goals yes sir he can. He scored the two-one. He had a pretty good game. Now we're just waiting for Korea to come back, and at that point, our attack should be set again. Nice to see Alexis Sanchez on the pitch again, but yeah. when he's not, when he's not on his night, it's kind of underwhelming. I'm sorry, Alexis, big fan, but <sighs> I'm just glad
0: to see him playing football again. I just honestly, I've, I've said it before, but I'm back at the stage now. I've gone full circle. I'm like, I can. I love Alexis again. He's such a great player. When he's on form, he's incredible. He's incredible.
1: And last night, absolute madness of game, after Salernitana managed to get their first point in Serie A this season thanks to a draw at home against Verona, Spezia, Juventus. The Bianconeri versus the Bianconeri. Now, this game was quite something. You got to watch it too, Rory, right? Only the first half?
0: I got to watch the first half because then I had to walk the dog. So, I managed to see the Gyasi goal, which was an absolute golazo. And the celebrating with the su was incredible levels of trolling. Um That was to equalize, right? Um, yeah, Moisey so King
1: Moise got a
0: really nice opening goal as well. He got look, a
1: really nice the, goal. Spezia are not doing as well as last year without uh, Italiano uh, as a manager. But, man, the first 10 minutes, 20 minutes, Spezia were running the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is yeah. this guy, not only because I have him in fantasy football, but because he's a good midfielder. Giulio Maggiore, he's the uh-huh. captain. He was running the midfield. They were running, they were shooting, shooting on target. Chesney had a few good saves. And then Keen scored a beauty of a goal from mm. outside the box. The way dribbled. he
0: shifted it onto his other foot past the defender was beautiful. And it was yeah. also,
1: it was a beautiful, look, it was a beautiful long ball by Bonucci. Rabiot did very well to keep the ball down, to have yeah. the ball down. And then king with, I mean, with an experience that I didn't know he had in him, um, he just dribbled past the defender and slotted in in the low left post. And then Giazzi scored any possible goal on a very um, on, on a very insisted uh, play by the Spezia mm-hmm. players. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Dude, I loved the Cristiano Ronaldo celebration so in front good. of Juventus. It does so take some good. hope. <laughs> it was beautiful, so but that wasn't all because then in the second half at the 49th minute, Spezia score another beauty of a goal. Spezia 2-1 down, but then Chiesa. Oh my God, guys, Chiesa is A natural, he's a natural. You know, when you have Rory, you know, when you have those English students that maybe have not been exposed to the language that much, but they Uh, make connections, they and you say he's just a natural learner. Yeah, yeah, I think this kid was born to play football because in that goal for Juventus, he brings the ball all the way from the corner flag to the middle of the box. Gives it, I believe, to Keane, who yeah, is surrounded yeah, yeah. by defenders, doesn't really manage to give it uh, back to Chiesa for the give and go right away. But then Chiesa sort of gets in there, gets the ball, and that first touch with the bottom of his shoe to just oh. like let the ball slide and then ping it in the net was beautiful. If this team have got a soul, that soul goes by the name of Federico Chiesa. He's the only man at the moment who can really pull them out of a of the dire straits. Well, you and would
0: argue he's possibly their only world-class player.
1: It is. He is. He is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Well, I mean, Bonucci and Chiellini, they've had a great career. They, were. Not they were
0: world-class. They're not yeah, now. They
1: were world-class. Yeah. They're not now. And then the league to scored a 72nd winner, 72nd minute winner for Juventus uh, from a corner kick. He had an incredible kick, really like the extension of mm-hmm. his leg to kick that ball in the net it was incredible. Too bad that Mino Raiola has pretty much said already that the league is going to be leaving at the end of the
0: season. Oh, really? I missed that. Where's he off to? Barcelona? No, they can't afford Uh, him. Where's he off to? Oh, not City,
1: I assume is it, is it? I have no idea. He had a few. He had a few digs at uh, Juventus this week. This week, Raiola woke up and he was like, "I'm going to throw digs at Juventus." Oh, he's done the
0: same. He's done the same uh, with Pogba at United. He must. Someone must have pissed him off because he's been making noises in England again as well.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But um, um, where does this leave Juventus? Um, I watched uh, a few Juventus YouTubers online and they were all yelling at the camera and they were like, We cannot fucking celebrate a 3 2 win against the Spezia oh. as if it was a Champions League final. When I heard that, I was like, Are you really saying a Champions League final? <laughs> you <haven't laughs> <Yeah. won> one. <laughs> what do you know about celebrating Champions League? <laughs> yeah, right? You yeah. don't remember <laughs> it. You were three years old, you weren't even but born. Also,
0: right, I don't like this. Um. Fans telling other fans how much they can celebrate it really mm-hmm. pisses me off because mm-hmm. it's like guys, guys, guys. What we're in football for? What the, the good bit is the wins. They're the good bit. So when the wins come, enjoy them because for some teams they don't come that often <laughs> hey, and they I don't, don't come so. all the time. Yeah, right? I, I, I so, don't.
1: I don't think Juventus are going to are going to get that many that year. However, we could see this game as a bit of a turning point. Their mm-hmm. first win in five games. It brings confidence back to the locker room, but Juventus are still in shambles and their football last night was not fucking impressive. No, they weren't all. good.
0: They weren't good.
1: No, it was, it just felt like the, I mean, Chiesa, Kiesa keen and the league were just like, all right, we got to score. And they, yeah, yeah. they really <laughs> took it upon themselves to score each one of those goals, but they didn't come from like any type of free flowing mm. football. Like until the two, two, like I was like, well, great goal by Chiesa, but that's, that's something that stands out. Juventus have not been playing great. And uh, later on, uh Empoli managed to win against Cagliari 2-0 with goals from Di Francesco and Stulac. Um that but was Cagliari uh, not having a good start. eh? Yeah, well, I mean he had he won he tied the first game against uh mm. he tied the first game against Lazio and now yeah, losing the second one and then AC Milan Venezia 2-0. Look, AC Milan play good football. I'm not gonna say they don't. Mate,
0: that second goal was beautiful. That oh, second both, goal was
1: beautiful. Both, both goals were very pretty. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. And uh, also, Teo Hernandez—it's the first uh, AC Milan defender from 2004, 2005 to both score and assist in the same game. If you think of the defender, AC Holy Milan, shit, event, really. <laughs> That's very fucking
0: what? impressive, yeah. What? That's ridiculous. How bad have their defenders been?
1: Anyway, yeah. Well, no, they've been very good, man. Cafu, Serginho, Maldini. Like, I'm surprised. And none of them got a
0: goal and an assist. That's insane. No, no, that's no, insane. no, no.
1: Um, They play good football. Look, Tonali is the guy that has really impressed me to the point that I had, I swapped him in fantasy for Godin for some reason. i oh, um, uh, Yeah, Except- so-
0: Except that horrific dive he did where Purely had to hold his hand,
1: Purely held his hand up
0: like in apology for how bad the dive was for Tonali trying to win a penalty. That was pretty embarrassing.
1: Yeah, that was. But I have to say, this guy last year he got a bit of stake also from AC Milan fans. This year it looks like he's really stepped Mm. up and he's really got anytime we would say he's got the keys of AC Milan's midfield, which is an expression that I really like. And uh, Brahim Dietz, another very talented player. Uh, I'm happy he found this form at AC Milan. He wasn't getting that much playing time over at Real Madrid. Mm -hmm. But Real Madrid have the right to rebuy the player at the end of Uh, the two-year loan. So we shall see what they will do. And uh, tonight at 8.45, Thursday night, we've got Roma Udinese. Should be a pretty interesting game so let's stay in Italy. i'm just going to tell you what's going to happen this very weekend the big game is on saturday fingers crossed rory hopefully we'll be able to go it's inter atalanta at 6 p.m while spezia take on milan at 3 and genoa play verona at 8 45 and then we've got a sunday full of football, which kicks off at uh, 30 past noon with Juventus-Sampdoria. At 3pm, we've got Empoli-Bologna, Sassuolo-Salernitana, Udinese- Fiorentina, and at 6pm the derby of the capital. We'll be tuning in the day before for the press conference. Mourinho versus Sarri-Lazio take on Roma. At the We're going to have to Mexico. double
0: screen. We're going to have to double screen. It's the same time as the North London derby. We're going to have to Ooh. double screen.
1: All right, all right, we'll double screen it. I'm all about that. So Napoli and then we've got Napoli Cagliari at eight forty five. The Serie A weekend wraps up on Monday night with Venezia Torino. Rory, what are we looking at in the Premier League?
0: A great weekend in Premier League coming up. It starts off on Saturday at half past one. All these times are Central European time. At half past one on Saturday, we've got Chelsea versus Man City at Stamford Bridge. Can Pep end his terrible record against Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel? It'll be interesting. Will City be out of the title race if they lose? I think there's a lot pinned on that game. Then we've got Manchester United versus Aston Villa again on Saturday at half past one. I feel like less people are going to be watching that one, but it could be an interesting game. Then we have Leeds versus West Ham at four o'clock, Watford versus Newcastle at four o'clock, a potential relegation six pointer already this early in the season. And Brentford versus Liverpool again on Saturday at four o'clock. I feel like this game is going to be really interesting. Two sides that play really fast-paced, good football. That could be a really good game to keep an eye on. Then on Sunday we have the big, we have the big one that I'm already nervous about: Arsenal versus Tottenham Sunday at half past five at the Emirates. I am shitting myself. Spurs seem to be looking a bit out of form. We seem to be looking a bit in form. And for some reason, that scares me even more.
1: All right, Rory. This was quite uh, quite the presentation to the game. Remember that on Monday night, we'll be, light. We'll be live with our customary Euro Review Mondays. And uh, either there will be a very happy Rory or a very sad Rory.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll find out.
1: Look, I don't know. You were going for the sad Rory already. You were like, know, yeah. Honestly,
0: what yeah. is it? Prepare, um, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. That's the thing. Right. right?
1: There you go. Any other games to mention? Uh,
0: Monday night, Bri- uh, Brighton versus Crystal Palace, nine o'clock, the weirdest but great derby in uh, the Premier League. Two teams, really young, exciting teams. Brighton having a great start to the season. Crystal Palace starting to find their performances and some form i think that'll be a really really good game for a monday night under the under the lights
1: hopefully some big tackles and fights etc beautiful and we're going to stay in england also for our weekly topic what are we going to talk about you're going to discover it very soon with our customary english history english football history guest afc finners And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, we are ready to tackle our weekly topic together with Rory, of course. Rory, you want to say something? Hello. You've been (laughs) here all long, but especially we are joined by our English football expert, Mr. AFC Finners. How are you doing today, Finners? Very good, thank you. Yeah, in, ca- yeah. in case you don't know, AFC is really his first name, and Finners <laughs> is really his last name. His parents
0: so, are super into football, super yeah, into Yeah, and, right? and
1: super into acronyms as well. We don't know what AFC fully stands for. But I'm very excited about this episode because once again, my two friends are going to help me and any of the listeners who aren't that aware of this history, learn more about the Liverpool Football Club, but especially learn more about the manager that sort of turned Liverpool's faith around forever. And we're talking, of course, about Bill Shankly. So before we actually start, uh, what uh, what is the... So, Bill Shankly is a household name in English football. What are the first things that you guys think about when you hear this name? i would let you go first, AFC.
2: Um, it's kind of the transformation idea, because, like, without him, we obviously know Liverpool are sort of the two absolute top clubs in England, and realistically, without him, I don't think they would be even close to that. But it's also just his approach to life. Like, you read all these interviews and, like, I've um, listened to so many interviews of him and like, taken what he's, um, how he went about life and applied it to my own. And, all, and the third thing I think is he was just a guy that got football. He was someone who understood what it meant to fans. And I think he's someone who got really deep into the other side of football, but he never let that um, being a fan of it side escape him. He never sold out, which so many people do throughout the history of football.
3: What about yeah, well you,
0: Rory? Yeah, this is it. I think the thing, like, before doing the research for this, if you said Shankly to me, I would just think, oh, he's that guy that Liverpool fans kind of love, right? And I didn't really know that much about him. But the more I've kind of researched and learned about him, now for me, as Finnes has said, it's like the man he was and the things he believed really... I fell in love with him over this week. Like, his his attitude on community, on, like, the working class, where he came from, his politics his devotion to the people of Liverpool, to the people in football, I just think that is like, that will be now for me the thing that when I think of Bill Shankly, it will be what he stood for and his personality. Just what an incredible, incredible man and an incredible football manager to boot, right?
1: Yeah, and as we will see, a lot of his former players really referred to this aura that he had around him. They said, you know, we've won international competitions and thus we've got to meet you know, the British PM, all these politicians, uh, international leaders. But we many of these players said we never met anybody that had the same aura around him. But first, before we talk about actual Bill Shankly, we need to go to backtrack a little bit and take a look at Liverpool Football Club before Bill Shankly was appointed manager. Which, to my surprise, because I also had to do quite a bit of research for this episode, I didn't know that Liverpool were so poor in quotation marks before he showed up. Yeah, so basically Liverpool had certainly experienced
2: levels of success before he was there, but not anything uh extraordinary. They were a little bit like I would say Blackburn Rovers, for example, the sort of lower um second division team that have experienced uh success in the past, but are quite far away from that now. Like that's kind of where they were or like or Nottingham, maybe, a little bit like maybe Derby County as well. Mm-hmm. Just a team really struggling that had experienced success but just couldn't get back to those levels but had the potential to get there. They just needed that one person who got them to unlock it. And they'd also, there was kind of a sign of how bad they'd formed that they, in the FA Cup, which at this point they'd never won, they were knocked out by non-league side Worcester City, which was like, that's the, the, about as low as it could get for them.
1: And what was the relationship with the rivals, the historical Merseyside rivals, Everton? Uh, back then, was Everton sort of the better side in Liverpool? Who was uh, who had more trophies before Bill Shankly's arrival?
2: Um, I think Everton had um, so, somewhat of a higher profile because they had um, Dixie Dean, and like mm. in that era of football, he was like not just like Lionel Messi; he was essentially like. The movie star as well. Like he wasn't in movies. I just mean he was kind of that level. He was like when people thought of the UK, they would think of Dixie Dean. So mm-hmm. because of that, Everton kind of um, like had certainly been the more successful most. I think. Forgive me, I can't remember who had actually won to count more trophies. But like Liverpool had won a few first division titles. That was it. Everton mm-hmm. won a few first division titles and a couple of FA Cups. So overall, they were. Um, the more successful side, and yes, Liverpool was certainly in their shadows at that point.
0: It's and, kind and of um, mad. It's, it's kind of mad to think about that. Everton were the kind of bigger, more successful side in Liverpool for a while, and that uh, you're right, Liverpool had kind of fallen. They they still had a decent following by all accounts. I think they still had a fairly good amount of fans turning up, but they were on the way, and it was an old squad. And yeah, they were kind of even falling down in the second division. They were kind of struggling when uh, Bill Shankley took over. So. It was, um, it, again, it was something I didn't realise just how much he did turn the club around and how much it was kind of on its arse so at that point. Liverpool Football Club was kind of
1: really struggling. And also, it, 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 you can go, you can go, go for it. Okay.
2: Well, basically, like when he turned up, like, yeah, like you said, Robbie, it was like a complete mess, but he, like, he basically turned up and saw the training grounds and he asked if it had been bombs during the war. And he basically said, pretty much everything has to change. And like most of the players that were at the squad when he had joined had left within a year. Um, Mm -hmm. But a strange thing um, in line with that was one thing he didn't actually change was the backroom staff. Because he, um, excuse me, he like turned up and all the backroom staff that were already there. Kind of thought. Well, he's going to bring his own backroom staff, and we're going to get the sack. Like which happens mm-hmm. in a lot of clubs nowadays. But he sat down with them, and amongst them were the likes of Susie <clears throat> Bob Paisley and Joe Fagan, who both managed Liverpool to European Cup triumphs. And he said to them, like, "No, I want I want you guys um, like to be my backroom staff. I'm going to let you help me take this club to the top." um so it kind of shows again there was that potential in there they just needed someone to unlock it um but like yeah he just he just came along and said look everything's got to change he like he like set about changing the entire squad the training grounds had to be completely renovated and like it was mel like but not mel woods you would know it
1: Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't he have a quote that Anfield, i.e., well, the, his Scottish accent without subtitles was quite difficult to understand, but didn't he have a quote that said, after years he was at Liverpool, he said, when I got here, Anfield was the biggest toilet you could find in Liverpool just to describe the state of decay <laughs> of, uh, of the environment all around the club. But um, let's uh, let's backtrack again a little bit and let's talk about Bill Shankly, the man before getting at Liverpool, he was a Scottish man from a working family. Um, they were miners, and he one quote that again I was able to understand was that the option was between becoming a miner and a footballer and he was pretty good at football and so it was like, it was really a no-brainer and they went all in into it. Was he a successful footballer before he turned into a manager?
2: Yeah, yeah, he certainly was. Like, his kind of, his whole policy was like, he grew up in a small mining town in Scotland called Glenbuck but he um, he basically always felt he was destined to be a footballer. Like, when he had his breaks from mining, he would just spend his time kicking a ball about it, and he felt he Would always become a footballer, he was just in the mines to pass the time. But he uh, was offered the trial by Carlisle and he spent a couple of years there before he went to Preston North End. Um, but a lot of his career, like, he couldn't properly experience because of the Second World War. But he was still able to win uh, the FA Cup with Preston just before um, the outbreak of the war. But he was like, um, he was a very good player, he was a right back. The the Preston fans absolutely loved him because of his work rate, um, and yeah, he was he was greatly admired as a player just for his dedication to the cause. Um, but sadly, like a lot of players, he missed a great deal of what could have been the best years of his life because um, the Second World War meant that footballers, well, the football league was suspended, and footballers couldn't take part in like essentially pre-season friendlies mm-hmm. for about five years.
0: Well, there's something you highlighted there about his work rate, and that's something that throughout his career he kind of put a real insistence on, was like there was uh, I was, there was an interview where he talked about um, if there's someone in this country who is being paid for a job and they're not given 100%, I would put them in prison or they yeah, should be taken out know. of society. And I love... Like it's really hard line, right? But it also sums him up completely. And you, there, there you can imagine what type of player he was, right? Absolute like heart on the sleeve. If you've not left it all on the pitch, then what are you doing? And I think he undoubtedly had that attitude when he was in the mines at sixteen, and when he was working in the like when he was in the armed forces. You can imagine that he took that application to absolutely everything he did.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, because
2: this um, is um, this is a point I did want to touch on because it's one of the areas he has influenced me. There's an interview where. He makes a similar point, and he, <clears throat> excuse me, he sort of points that when he was in the army, like if he had a job to do, even if it's even if it was scrubbing the floor, he would say, "I wanted my floor to be cleaner than yours," <laughs> yeah. and basically saying like, if everyone does the small jobs to best their birthday the world will be better. And saying no, football club is successful without hard work, but that's kind of a policy. Like I've applied to my life. Like when I'm mm-hmm. working in like you know the cocktail bar workout, I will apply that and just think that even if you're just mopping the floor just do your best and like you will Mm -hmm. reap the rewards because his other policy was if everyone together puts in their best you will have a fair share of the rewards and I think it's a good way to look at life whether you're playing in the Champions League final or mopping the floor just do your best and it will get you somewhere
1: well I am sure Big Bill Shankly would have never thought that in 2021 uh, you would have said this quote uh, about him referring to you mopping the floor but you were talking <laughs> about you were talking about uh, Preston and uh, another thing that he was able to understand was that uh, he said that at Preston he pretty much learned everything about football he said that's where I really understood what football was all about uh, how train how important training is and he said without my experience at Preston I would have never become a manager so definitely something very big and how did he get into managing afterwards
2: so basically um, he was coming towards the end of his uh, playing career at Preston and he um it, it, in a nutshell, he it was it was kind of a difficult uh, moment for him. So so like he returned to playing for Preston, but by that time he was thirty three, and he lost his place in the team. But he was so like again going back to what we were saying about when he was in the mines, he still had that policy that it was football or nothing. So he always felt he wanted to become a coach. And Carlisle United, who he also used to play for, um, asked him if he wanted to become their manager, and the offer. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. So he immediately retired from playing and he took
0: the job. He eventually moves on to Huddersfield, right? And he becomes the manager of Huddersfield. And this is weirdly where he's discovered by Liverpool, right? So his Huddersfield team beat Liverpool, I think it's 3-0 or 5-0. They humiliate Liverpool and yeah. their, their manager eventually resigns and they go to the manager who showed them how to play football and take Bill Shankly. So it's kind of, it's amazing how he had a kind of um an audition for the job and they kind of like headhunted him and he also turned out to be this man who would turn the club's future around so then he is appointed at liverpool and as you said that he wanted complete control over everything and at the beginning this was a bit of a problem because i think at the time there was like Committees for selections of like first 11s, and he demanded to have full control over the first 11, right?
2: Mm. Well, it was the thing is, it was kind of a pattern in his career up to that point that he had um disputes with um members of the boards, which is quite <laughs> a common theme. Like, you know, you've read interviews with Brian Clough, and it's quite a similar theme, but in a nutshell, like because he'd been at Carlisle, he was also working to Grimsby as well as Huddersfield, and each time there were just issues like a lot like what we were saying about Liverpool's training ground and stuff where um, the members of the board just weren't pulling their weight or they were just making mistakes and he would just get fed up of them but with Liverpool, like, he was able to, he was given the chance to, like, um, have that complete control, maybe somewhat reluctantly but at the end of the day, it brought results.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it, it took a while, but then it was quite quick success. He got them promoted within two seasons, right? And they won the league within four.
2: Yeah, he got I, them. Uh, yeah, he got I, them promoted I, quite quickly. So he built a team around uh, young players. Like uh, it was, I, lo- I love the core of the team as players like uh, Ian Callahan, Tommy Smith, mm-hmm. Roger Hunt. But yeah, they won. They, they won the um, 63-64 First division title, and that was only two years after being promoted. And that was his first honor. But he also said one of his key aims was to win the FA Cup because he'd won it more times than Liverpool because they'd never won <laughs> it. And then in nineteen sixty five they faced uh Don Revy's Leeds in the final. And there were two players. He like, in line with his disputes with the board, they basically he wanted to sign the players Ian St. John and um was uh, it Ron Callahan?
0: Yates. Oh, Ron, Ron Yates, Ron sorry. Ron yeah, yeah, yeah
2: and, yeah. and and I basically, the board said, we can't afford to buy these players. And he essentially slammed his fist down and said, no, we can't afford not to buy them. <laughs> and then in that FA Cup final, they won 2-1. And then Ian St. John scored the winner and Ron Yates lifted the FA Cup as Liverpool captain. So in the end, he was proven right.
1: So the the feeling that I got so his managerial career before uh, going to Liverpool was Carlisle United, Grimsby Town, Workington Town, which is a great name by the way Workington. I'm assuming there was a mine there as well. <laughs> Huddersfield Town and then Liverpool. The idea that I got from seeing when he was appointed he was like it felt, it felt like he deeply believed that they would get to trophies, but he didn't have that much to back this conviction. It felt like somebody who was very full of himself, like very that truly believed in his uh, coaching style. So, what was the secret to taking Liverpool all the way to where he did within three-year time?
2: I, I think a key part of it, like there's, there's a number of different reasons. I think the key reason was hard work because even if Mm. these players weren't talented they would just put in that like go that extra mile and that would a lot of time get them over the line but I think another thing was his personality like he because he was just so unique he was able to get things out of players that nobody else could like for example one story about him is when he signed Ron Yates I think they met in a hotel and he said like um Ron Yates asked him where Liverpool works. He was playing in Scotland at the time. And he said, oh, we're in the first division. And then he came back five minutes later and said, oh, no, I've checked. They're in the second division. And Bill Shankley went, aye, but we'll be in the first division if we sign you. Well, how can I not sign someone like
1: that? Yeah, I did did watch that bit. I didn't understand the full... But yeah, no, no, no. It it uh, It was definitely a good one. And I think that it's right around now that... The, the city of Liverpool starts rallying around the team always more. And let's not forget that possibly the 20th century biggest phenomenon of them all was taking place in Liverpool at the right time. The Beatles, right? So it's like there is a shit ton of excitement around this city. And there is not only the music, but there's also the football. All of a sudden, the people have, have two things to, to distract them from, from their daily lives.
2: Well, there's a great video from, uh, it's British Pathé News, I think Mm. it's, basically, it's when Liverpool won one of their first division titles under Shankly and, like, during the game, there's like a clip of the cop singing She Loves You by Mm. the Beatles, and, like, um, it just, I think that just perfectly sums up what you, like, if a clip doesn't sum up Liverpool in the 60s better... Like I'm yet. To yeah, see it, it's impossible. Comes
0: perfectly. It's impossible. I love that all the crowd do the really high pitch noise together as well. They do the oh, yeah. all together. It's so good. You got these fifty year old blokes all trying to hit the harmonies. It's incredible. What a clip! But yeah, you're right. For, for like Liverpool as a city has had like quite a hard history. I think it's fair to say a difficult history. And I think, but I think this period of time is like for the city is such a great period. And Shankly was just a huge huge part of that. But when you were talking about how he got an extra mile out of the players and how the players believed in him. I don't know about you, but when I heard him speak, there's something about his voice that really oh, yeah. really did like I was ready to run through a wall for him and he wasn't even talking directly to me. <laughs> so I can't imagine how much of effect of an effect he would have had on these players and you're right. It's like that conviction and just the way he spoke. I found it so incredible.
1: Definitely a very very charismatic man. And uh, so in 1962, Liverpool win, they become second division champions, they get promoted to the first division, and by 1964, he's been for five years in charge, they are the first division champions, they end up winning the first division again, two years later, and uh, but the big one was in 1965, when they won the first FA Cup in Liverpool's history, that was very, very big, which again, the, our first episode with AFC Finners was about the FA Cup. And again, when the, when you see the number one, when I lo- look at these clips, I love the celebrations of the players after they score. Hands up, just kind of, <laughs> yeah. Jumping, yeah. Kind of <laughs> jumping around like your video game is glitching a little bit. They're all <laughs> like jumping towards each other. But the smiles that they have when they lifted the FA Cup, it's just really like wow, we've done it. It feels like a really a turning point in Liverpool's history.
2: Yeah, no, definitely, because it's like I think you see like um the effects. I like, think I think like what happened with um Leicester this year, I think it's a little mm-hmm. bit like that. But imagine that like times ten back then because obviously they are going too deep into it. The FA Cup still means a lot, but back then it was like winning uh, the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he just like he basically said, "I want to." He wanted to win that for the city of Liverpool. It's like he just he, he knew how much it meant, and yeah, he just saw it as, like one of his key targets. But there's a, um, but again, it shows like the mentality he got out of his players because like. Um, uh, like for example, uh, you'll have heard the story of Bert Troutman, the Man City goalkeeper, who broke mm-hmm. his neck. It's a bit similar to that. There's um like Liverpool's defender Jerry Byrne broke his collarbone early in the match, but obviously substitutions weren't in place at the time, um so he just carried on playing. And like after the game, Bill <laughs> <frankly> said, <laughs> "Can you imagine? Bill oh my god!" He,
3: but
2: he said like you know Jerry Byrne had played the best game of his life. And like that, just, it, with what uh, Rory was saying, like you just might have run for a wall for him, That I don't think anything sums it up better. But like I they welcome back, they were welcome back to Liverpool with like on an open top bus, and there was a crowd of about half a million people. Jesus, like, that's, an insane, that's an insane amount of people for an open top bus. <laughs> that's like that. That's that's over like that's like four or five Anfields, I think. Like,
0: yeah. Insanity. yeah. It is incredible when you think about it. I think it was, again, an interview of Ron Yates where he says, I didn't even know Liverpool had that many people in it. (laughs) Like, there's people (laughs) sat on windows, stood on lampposts, just everywhere. And like, I think, again, when you look at these clips, it's like, you know how you see like, is it liquid dynamics within crowds? And you see the people kind of moving and having to be pushed forwards and backwards. You think, I would actually quite like to be in that crowd, although I bet it is quite uncomfortable. It would have been incredible to be there though. My God.
1: And another yeah. another thing, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I think by looking at watching the clips, it feels like the nineteen the early nineteen sixties is when football sort of became football as mm-hmm. we know it. So if you look at clips from the nineteen forties fifties, a lot of times it's just the center back kicking the ball uh, up and everybody chasing the ball and trying to create a play from that uh, throw. But in the 1960s already, by looking at the highlights of these uh, Liverpool games, it feels like players have more of a defined position. There are more crosses in the box. There is the the big forward sort of like cautioning the ball back Mm -hmm. for the other forward coming in. So it feels like it's really the time when football starts becoming the sport uh, that we watch every day now. Um, But so... In England, they make statements. They start winning the, the, the first division. They win it twice in 1964, 1966, they win the FA Cup in 1965, but then they start also making a name for themselves in the European stage. How did the how did Liverpool's European campaigns go, AFC?
2: So basically um, they like a few days after they won their first FA Cup, they had um, the second leg of the semi-final against Inter Milan. Um, and basically, Liverpool had won the first leg at Anfield 3-1. And a lot of people say that was kind of the dawn of the famous European nights at Anfield. Mm-hmm. But in the second leg, Inter won 3-0 and advanced to the final. Um, and You want to hear, uh, like, you wanna really hear like,
1: a cool story, Finners? Uh, my my grandfather uh, was uh, actually the journalist who was uh, broadcasting that game in the Italian radio. I've got a vinyl oh, here at home with the original commentary from that game, Inter-Liverpool oh, 3-0. And he also went to Anfield for the first leg. It's, uh, well, it's... Well, the, um, well, well, I wonder if he said anything about like what the allegations were because a
2: lot of people <laughs> in the second leg said there was a lot of um, suspicious refereeing. Um, like I think Liv- Liverpool had a goal disallowed, I think, and, um, yep. and and Shankly was saying two of the goals that Inter scored should not have been given, and what the real answer is, we d- we don't know, and it, we never will truly know, that it was a desperately unlucky, um, like in- incident for them, but like he'd still. Like he's still done incredibly for them.
1: He said, "So for he Denver. looks, he looks like such a confident man." But he said that the face of the referee of the Inter Milan Liverpool game is the face that will haunt will haunt me until the day I die. <laughs> what
0: made me laugh is that a lot of people said that he had a natural suspicion of foreigners, which did really make me laugh when I when I heard I that. Know. But yeah, I think the, the referee for that game definitely didn't help. There's one of the games that me and Tommy were discussing off camera earlier. One of the goals even. And the Interkeeper seems to bounce the ball. No, the, Although, the, sorry, the, Liverpool, the Liverpool keeper. Liverpool keeper seems to bounce it, and the Inter the striker kind of intercepts. Now, I think... Um, from, behind, from
1: behind. Yeah, Shankly's yeah, yeah. school
0: of thought was that he was still in control of the ball. I don't know. I've seen Thierry on rehab goals disallowed for that. I have no idea what the rule actually is.
1: <laughs> like, and he also said it was the first time, Bill Shankly also said it was the first time that he ever saw a smoke bomb at the stadium. There was one at the San Siro. So it's also interesting to see how different countries were like living their football S- side then.
0: note, just can you imagine the San Siro in the sixties? By the way, oh my god, oh. it feels like it feels like you're in the eighties when you go there now. God knows what it was like in the sixties. Like, yeah,
1: I can only imagine. But so, this definitely was a very low moment in Liverpool's European campaign history. How did they recover from that?
0: Um, well, they did.
2: Um, they did struggle for um, a couple of years because they, after being knocked out by Helene Herrera's Inter, they were knocked out. Um, then of the European Cup by Johan Cruyff, Ajax. Um, and then for quite a few years, they didn't um, win any silverware. And this is what a lot of people seem to agree is the weakness of Bill Shankley because mm-hmm. a lot of the players that served him so well, such as Ron Yates, Ian St. John, Jerry Byrne, Roger Hunt, Tommy Lawrence, um, they were starting to grow old, but shankley didn't quite have it in them to let them mm-hmm. go. But then eventually it was in nineteen seventy, they lost to Watford in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. And I think that was kind of the um, the key moment where I was, I've got to make something change. It was something that Bob Paisley alluded to, like in retrospect, he kind of said Shankly was a softie at heart, because again, mm. he just didn't have it in him. But then he started he brought in a bunch of young players that were like such as Ray Clements, John Toshak. And Steve Kevin Highway.
0: Keegan, right? Did he bring in oh, Keegan?
2: Yeah. Yes, yes, he did. And like basically, um, so in in and then in 1971, they reached the FA Cup final and Royal like this because they lost they lost um, to Arsenal yeah. to a very yeah. famous
0: Charlie George goal. Um, it's the after... sorry, it's the celebration where he lies on his back. So oh, yeah, people would have definitely like, seen it. He just lies on the pitch and looks up. It's a great celebration. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Um, but like, basically, this is probably the most famous clip of him. Like, they returned to Liverpool, and despite losing the final, they still had a homecoming. And he announced the crowd. He he addressed the crowd and said, "I've drummed it into my players time and again that they're privileged to play for you. And if they don't believe me, they believe me now." Oh. I think I remember that that clip did like did the rounds a lot during the um, the Super League controversy. Mm-hmm. Basically saying like we need this guy. He got the back Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then after, after, but after that, he um, he signed Kevin Keegan, and they would win their first major honour in seven years in seventy two seventy three, and they all they made it a double because they won the UEFA Cup and the Borussia Mönchengladbach, Gladbach, and that was uh, Shankly's only European trophy at Liverpool. So it wasn't quite the European Cup, but he somewhat made amends for. Mm.
1: The defeats went to Milan. Mm-hmm. I kind of like well, that the big slip in his career was in Milan. Well, there's two things
0: there. You mentioned um, Helenio Herrera's Inter and Cruyff's Ajax. I was like, well, if you're going to lose to two sides, they're probably t- not too bad yeah. sides <laughs> to lose to. If you know what I mean? Like, you. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Blah, yeah which blah, is blah, the
1: narrative? The, which is the narrative that whenever Rory wakes up from a nightmare, Arsenal, Bayern Munich, Arsenal, Barcelona, then he talks himself out of it. At least it was Bayern Munich it. and Barcelona. It was like it was that I, Bayern I, Munich and that Barcelona, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I like that Rory
2: didn't even to think to mention that Bertie meese Arsenal were the sides he lost to as well. <laughs>
0: no, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I need to pick up my game. I need to pick up my game.
1: <laughs> but so, how big was this UEFA Cup Winners' Cup? For uh, for Liverpool back in the 1973, was it regarded as the biggest accomplishment they they had under Bill Shankly? Um, sorry to
2: move down. To it, it wasn't Cup Winners' Cup. It was UEFA Cup. UEFA um, Cup. Yeah, um, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but um, basically, no, it, it was um, it was quite a uh, big deal because you know he'd now done a double and he did have some European silverware. But it kind of proved like. They had certainly challenged for honors in that sort of drought. They truly proved they were back um, because mm-hmm. they kind of. It's a little bit like, I, I guess, the way to put it into perspective is like Simeone at Atleti. Like he won that league title in 2014, but they'd gone so long without it and now they've won it again. Yeah. It was a little bit yeah. like that. They kind of had to reprove themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh This, I, like, I assume this is the you one to get into anyway, but this was kind of. Where it gets strange because um, like it did, people did see it as like the second dawn, mm-hmm. but then and the next season they won their second FA Cup under Shankly, but then after that that was it.
1: He, that was, was it. Tired. So yeah. w- w- so let's just recap Liverpool under Bill Shankly. So first division champions in nineteen sixty four, sixty six, and seventy three. Second division champions three uh, three years after he had uh, got the job, so in 1962, then FA Cup winners 1965 and 1974, and UEFA Cup winners in 1973. What happens in 1974? Is it sort of an abrupt ending? It's just like this is too much? I I've done what I had to do. I'm gonna walk away uh, triumphantly.
2: Yeah. So basically, it's a very it's a very strange one because it's really. Despite all the um answers you get given, it's very difficult to put down this one straight answer because I don't mm. think even he knew but like from what um it seems is just he with all this hard work stuff we were talking about it was kind of he was doing that so much it was like it was a degradation to himself mm. and like I think we kind of saw that at Liverpool last season how they were working so hard that it was damaging them. Yeah. And I, I think that was what it was happening with him. He just like he was giving so much to the game. But like people saw, sort of, he sort of said that when he got back to the changing rooms after that seventy four cup final, he just felt tired and he mm. sort of felt like it was the perfect note to end on. But he basically he announced in a press conference that summer he was retiring. And there's a very famous clip, I'm sure you would have seen, where like yeah. the reporters just the news and he's going around the streets oh, of Liverpool.
0: So good,
2: it's, yeah. And but they're like he he's telling like these little kids that Shankly's retired, the and they're all saying in these scouse accents like, "Are you having me on?" And nobody believes him. But it's just heartbreaking. But what's
1: the yeah? There was the no Twitter at the time. Yeah, there well, was no yeah, Twitter. Yeah,
0: well, this is and there's a little kid who just goes, "Who says?" Who says? It's yeah, <laughs> yeah, like a... no, he's retired. Yeah, but who says? And they're like nobody <laughs> believes it. It's incredible. It's an amazing yeah, clip. No, yeah, no, Fabrizio Romano back then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but, like they,
2: but it was um no, it was it was very sad because like he he retired and I think like he w- he was finally able to like spend a lot of time with his wife who had obviously been almost starved of him because he was so <laughs> committed to football at points, but like. But then the next season, like Bob Paisley was appointed his successor. But like Bob Paisley tried to talk him out of it. He said, like, you know, go on a cruise with your wife for two weeks, come back, and you'll be feeling all right. But Shankley was like stubbornly saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm finished. I packed it in. And then, but then when the next season started, like Paisley was the manager, but Shankley would often show up to training, and he would mm. like he would turn up like in his tracksuit. He would speak to the players. And like he would just hang out there. And in a nutshell, it's just because he was addicted to football, he just couldn't get away from it. And the ending like, well, feels,
0: it feels really tragic. It is really tragic, isn't it? And yeah. it's like, well, the players would still call him boss, and it's like, yeah. just this guy who, I think the impression I got was that he didn't realise how much he would miss football once he left, or how much, how big an impact it would have on him. And I'm sure you were getting to it, but it got to the point where they had to like ban him from the training ground.
2: Yeah, but Bob Paisley, like, I'm sure this must have been incredibly painful for him. Did have to say, "Look, you're you're not the manager anymore. I am." Like,
3: yeah, and, oh like, god, it's
2: it, it, like that must have been such a horrible thing to do. But it was something that had to be done. But like, like you're you're completely right. He just he retired, but he didn't. It was a. It's kind of a common thing in life. You only realise what you have when you don't no have it. I think, yeah, that was yeah. very much the case for him. And, yeah, it is yeah, tragic because and, I think this, I, I understand why he made the decision. But yeah, you do. You, yeah, it's it's one of those who do wonder like what would have if he if he hadn't retired so early. Mm-hmm. But,
3: uh,
1: yeah, and his wife got to enjoy her husband only for seven years after his retirement because he died of a sudden heart attack on September 29th, 1981. He was pretty young. He was mm. uh, he was only only 50, wait, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not, he was 68, 68, yeah, 68 years yeah. old. Um, of course, he's got a special place in the Hall of Fame of the National Museum of Football in Preston and you might as well know that he's got a big statue uh, by Anfield Road. And one of the entrances at Anfield is called the the Shankly Gate, I mm-hmm. believe, or yeah, the yeah. Shankly yeah, right, yeah. entrance. So what is, I'm going to ask both Rory and Finn, what is the legacy that Bill Shankly has left behind? And is there any manager at Liverpool that has sort of matched that aura that we were talking about? Rory, you want to go first?
0: Well, I think the fact that he put in the building blocks that made Liverpool able to get the success that they had under Paisley and Fagan, none of that would have happened without Bill Shankly, right? Um, and I think the fact that he... like he, he made that club what it is today, ultimately. And I think, for me, I'm sure the Fingers might say the same, he might disagree, but I don't think there's a manager in Liverpool that will ever come close. Um, and I think the only manager in English football that you could argue has a as big a legacy would be Busby at, at United. Mm, Ferguson, maybe at United as well. Well, I so think but, where... I think Busby is still over Ferguson at United, but that's for a separate
1: episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see what Finn says about this one. Yeah, no, I I agree. It's
2: like I think I said at the start of the episode, Liverpool could just be one of those clubs in a big city that have won a few trophies, like you know, like. For example, the Sheffield clubs or Newcastle, Sutherland, mm. they could just be a club like that that would go through the divisions. Like, we'll we'll never know for sure, but I think I think without him, like they they wouldn't have a single European Cup. They might still never mm. have won the FA Cup. I just I think I don't know if there's like not even in Liverpool's history, but like in, maybe even in football history, that just such a legacy has been left by one man on a club. Like just because, like Liverpool, like I said, are one of the like two major sides in English football, and I think that is just it's in, pretty much entirely down to him. Because obviously, mm. what um, cause obviously Paisley and Fagan did kind of go to the next level and win European cups, and they deserve every piece of credit um, they get for that. Don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't have been possible without Shankly. Like if if Paisley or Fagan had been given the jobs. Without Shankly, they wouldn't have, mm-hmm. you know, been able to do that. So yeah, his his legacy is like immortal, and like I think a lot of managers like him, like maybe don't get spoken about um, to the extent they do. But I think every Liverpool fan does essentially see him as the king of um, Liverpool Football Club, mm-hmm. and forever will. And I, I, but I also think it's why they've adopted, uh, why they've. Uh, Grown so fond of cloth because I do certainly see uh, similarities mm-hmm. um, in like their their personalities, their management yeah. style. Yeah. I think obviously Shankly, with respect to Cloth is a much better manager. I think in terms <laughs> of like his legacy and stuff. Don't nothing against cloth, but I just think I, I can. I think that's one of the reasons cloth has been so successful because he's recognised um, the influence Shankly has and has yeah. taken that himself.
0: Well, this is it. It's very much a club that is very close to its fans, right? I think it's one of the ones where they are closer to their fans and are closer to the community. Um, I think, yeah, you're right. The the statue outside Anfield, I believe, just says he made he made the people of Liverpool happy right and I think that's that's yeah. all they wanted to do that's that's exactly what he did um, but I want to quickly recommend one documentary I don't know if anybody's seen it I did watch it it's by Johnny Owen it's called The Three Kings and it's about Busby oh, yeah
2: I love that and film
0: it's it's about yeah it is honestly one of the best documentaries I've ever seen but it's about Jock Steen Matt Busby and Bill Shankly who were all born within 30 kilometers of each other in Scotland and arguably the three most influential managers in British history so it's an incredible documentary and yeah, yeah, Shankly is just obviously as the others, you just learn so much about a great man.
1: AFC, anything that you would like to add about this great man we have uh, just talked about? Um well I think
2: uh like what Rory said, there's um that Three Kings film is fantastic, but there's um <laughs> there's quite a few uh, documentaries about him. But I think it um if you want to like read up on his life too, it's fascinating. I'm currently reading his autobiography. and I, I just like I think it kind of sums it up like, you know, uh, I grew up as a United fan. R- Rory grew up as an Arsenal fan. And yet we can still find that appreciation of someone
3: mm-hmm. so
2: commonly associated with Liverpool. Wherever we think, think, thought of Liverpool growing up, I think that kind of uh, is another way to sum it up. Like, it's kind of, we don't care that he managed to Liverpool. We just like admire him that much. I think you can set aside yeah. those rivalries. But I think, no, just honestly, if you want to like read up on his life, Go out there, look it up, and you will find so much. Like it, it, it like he won't. It's not just about what he did live. But I think he will have like an influence on your life. And he's some again. He just got football. He just understood yeah. what it was all about. And I think with um, the way that football has gone in the past year or so, with run by so many people who don't get it, and the whole Super League thing, I think if you just like look at the things he said about football you will understand what it's all about, and why it matters so much to people. But again, also, you can take a lot of his policies and you can apply them to your day to day life and it will help you a lot, I think.
1: It's beautiful. No, no way to, uh, for a better ending why am i speaking then right <laughs> uh, that might be your question uh thank you very much afc Thinners guys that are listening remember that you can find our friend finley on youtube with his uh, videos about uh, football history but also ground hopping videos as uh, they call them uh across the channel i guess ground hopping videos that's it right yeah yeah, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, AFC Thinners, and uh, we're ready to jump to our next section.
0: And that was it. That was our part on Bill Shankly the second in our series of English football history. Um bits what would you call it uh, football english football history
1: period that's it period. you're struggling know, honestly, usually it's me went blank
0: I usually did enjoy it's that, me though.
1: who struggles with english this time around it's you no man it was super interesting the only thing that we were missing was somebody with a thick scottish accent that could revive bill shankley's you know soul for real
0: Well, mate, I did worry for you a little bit, without being patronizing. The documentary is on YouTube. Obviously, there's no subtitles, and his accent is pretty fucking heavy. I did think is is it going to be difficult to understand? Was it difficult?
1: Yeah, and it's not like his accent is very difficult to understand. And the Liverpool players they speak like immaculate English. So it was like where (laughs) I I admit there were I kind of struggle with British English in general. Of course, since knowing Rory, I've improved. But man, you're welcome. The northern accent. The even our friend David from a Sports Club Maps. Oh when yeah, we, yeah, yeah, When we first talked to him, I was like, I kind of looked at Rory and texted him. I was like, just be really like listen to everything he says because I can't understand everything, everything. <laughs> but um, uh, there is. I, I want to learn English accents. I'm pretty good with Italian accents, but I cannot even like make an impression of English ones. Are you are you good at that, Rory? No, I'm terrible at accents. I'm absolutely terrible at accents. And before you ask, I'm not going to do any accents on the
0: pod. Before <laughs> can you, you try ask. to
1: do a Scottish accent? Um, like, let's say, the only let's, word... jump, let's jump to one minute to kick off in a Scottish accent.
0: No, no, no. There's only like, you know, in accents, you can do certain words. Yeah. Uh, purple is how Scottish people say purple. <laughs> purple. That's all I can do.
1: We'll leave it there. But Rory, <laughs> we're almost at the end of the episode. What are we on to right now?
0: We are going for, of course, the one minute till kickoff quiz. And this time it is for me to get into the hot seat. And my chosen subject, I've no idea why, is a competition that I don't think I've ever watched on TV either. It is the UEFA Cup.
1: Beautiful. So here we are. Mr. Rory Criscuolo is going to answer... Seven questions in one minute about the UEFA Cup. Are you ready? No. (laughs) I don't care. Ready, set, go. In which year did the UEFA Cup replace the InterCities Fairs cup? 75. Wrong. Which team won the first UEFA Cup in 1972? Um, Juventus. Wrong. From 1971 to 2009, how many times have a team from Italy and England played each other in the UEFA Cup final? Never. Correct, zero. <laughs> and how many times have two Italian sides faced each other in the final? Oh, I
0: feel like there was years where Italy dominated European competition, right? I'm going to
1: say five. Wrong. Which English team detains the most UEFA Cup trophies? I think this is Tottenham. Wrong. Uh, three Scottish clubs have won the UEFA Cup. Can you name them all? Hibernian, Celtic, and Aberdeen. Wrong. Damn. Only one of these three Italian teams has never won the UEFA Cup. Roma, AC Milan, Juventus. Roma. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You only get one answer. This is the worst you've ever done. How do you feel, you dummy? I'm really (laughs) not surprised in the slightest.
0: So many, I'm sure the listeners will be able to tell. I was completely stabbing in the
1: dark there. Yeah. So, Rory, let's go back. You only guessed one. So, So in which year did the UEFA Cup actually start replacing the InterCities Fairs Cup? You said 1975. It was a little earlier. Balls. 1971. Oh, this one is unbelievable! I couldn't believe my eyes. Which team won the first UEFA Cup in 1972? Go on. Just say the club that never wins trophies, Rory. Tottenham. It was Tottenham. Oh, oh damn it! They defeated Wolves 3-2 on aggregate. Yup. So from 1971, the year of its start and its foundation, to 2009, how many times have a team from Italy and England played each other in the UEFA Cup final? Zero times, correct? And how, and how many times have two Italian sides faced each other in the final? You said five. When you were saying, F, I said, he's got it because it was four so it Fuck. was Ju- <laughs> Juventus Fuck. Fiorentina 89 90, <laughs> Inter Roma 1991, Parma Juve 94 95, and Inter Lazio 97 98. Which English team detains the most UEFA Cup trophies? Liverpool. Correct, with uh. three. Three, Scor- uh, three Scottish clubs have won the UEFA Cup. Can you name them all? In order, it was Dundee United in 1987, Celtic in 2003, and the Rangers in yeah, 2008. I don't
0: know why I didn't say Rangers, but anyway.
1: Yeah, I thought you were going to say Celtic and Rangers. Uh, and finally, only one of these three Italian teams has never won the UEFA Cup. Which one? Roma, AC Milan, Juventus. You said the Roma, it's wrong. It's AC Milan? It's AC Milan, so there is is, every time AC Milan get relegated from the Champions League to the UEFA Cup or to the Europa League, there is a joke amongst the AC Milan fans, and they say, well, we're quite happy because it's the only trophy we've never won. Okay, right, right, nice. think nice. it was actually Berlusconi the first one to publicly joke about this thing mm. uh, one year they didn't qualify for the Champions League and it was like it was planned from the start of the season <laughs> we want to win our first UEFA Cup next year
0: always the master of spin Berlusconi always oh, the master of spin
1: just you wait until Luca comes on and we have a special about Berlusconi's <laughs> ace in <laughs> Milan make sure you have popcorn that time around guys it's everything from me remember that you can follow us on Twitter and at Italian Anglo Pod on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. And you should also follow our sponsor at Sports Club Maps. Make sure that you tell a friend about our podcast because, you know, we're trying to take over the world. And now I'm going to leave the floor to Rory to send you off with our customary ending of the episode quote.
0: And um, for the first time, we've decided to do two quotes of the week this week for the great man himself of course the subject of our episode bill Shankly. starting with if you aim for the sky you'll reach the ceiling aim for the ceiling and you'll stay on the floor and finally my favorite quote if everton were playing down the bottom of my garden i would draw the curtains thanks for joining us guys see you next week